as a little foreword to this podcast, um, listening to it and editing it, I just listened to this young man who is so into what he does. Um, this baby face, cute boy who uh, describes how easy it is to break the 500 kilometer record on a tandem. Oh, sensational listening. Absolutely, absolutely great. Uh, just wanted to mention that I had met um, David Kassar in uh, Greece once and he gave me his number. He's in Lebanon. And when I chatted to him and asked him a podcast, he refused it. He said, it's not really my thing. Uh, I don't go for that. But let me give you the number of uh, somebody. And uh, Honorin and I had never met. Uh, we just saw each other a few minutes before the podcast started on uh, Skype and had a chat. So, so nice. Enjoy. Staying Alive in Paragliding, a podcast series with your host, Steph Juncker from Cape Town, South Africa, the owner of Parapax Tandem Paragliding and a competition pilot of 23 years. Real podcasts for real pilots. To learn from, to laugh at, and to enjoy the funny and crazy stories that go with it. And here we have on the line uh, the great Honorin, a diligent young man of 28 years. He is sitting in his office um, on a Saturday morning, just to, as he described to me this morning, to get onto the computer to do some work in this time of lockdown in France. Hi, how are you doing, Honorin? Hello, hello. Well, it's fine here. <laughs> I hope for all the guys, uh, all the pilots also. And um, but thanks to interview me, <laughs> and uh, it, I will try to to answer and to say something interesting for you. <laughs> absolutely. Look, uh, you are one of those people that I really, really wanted to interview. Uh, da David Kassar, our mutual friend, has said definitely uh, speak to Norin. He will be happy to make such a podcast and a chat. Um, just uh, less than 12 hours ago, I had uh, Felix Rodriguez, one of your Ozone team pilot friends, yeah. uh, create guy on the line. And he also gave me a very funny podcast. So really, really cool. Um, I'll take a moment just to introduce you. Uh, you have obviously tasted paragliding for the first time when you were three years old. You made a tandem with your father. When you were 14 years old, you started to fly. And um, obviously, the XC magazine uh, rates you as one pilot to rule them all. So I think it's quite a dangerous thing to try and beat you or the man who's just pipped you in first place is also a teammate of yours, is Russell Ogden, uh, into first place to go anywhere. Uh, you have a style of flying. It's unbelievable. Uh, we are always wondering how, how do you get that thermal? What, what were you thinking? Why do you take that line? Which way are you going? Absolutely great. So we're going to get lots of these tips and tricks and things like that out of you. That would be really, really nice. Um, do you want to start straight away and tell me about your training? You're in the south of France right now. You live there. You are from there. What do you do every day? Yeah, but I started paragliding when I was really young. So I, um, I learned some skills uh, very early. And um, like uh, how to inflate your glider in a strong wind. Because uh, I learned um, along the sea. So there is a lot of sea breeze and... Uh, um, I know all the gliders and how it inflates, uh, where it is in pitch, pitch in yaw, in, in wall, everything. And uh, that's really good to practice on the floor. 
uh, first when you when you start paragliding it will be a very good skill after in the air uh, after i had the, the the chance to have a really good father who did a lot of comps french french comps uh, just um, all the the holidays uh, for a student during all my holidays i did uh, all the the flights in everywhere in france and I was super young, so I learned a lot uh, during this time. It was super, super good to have this, uh, this father. And uh, I, I had also a lot of um, like sponsorship uh, for, from the, the state to help me to go to this competition. And uh, that's a, a really good start for me uh, when I was young. After I had to learn in comp uh, how to not bomb out. <laughs> Uh, I was super uh, nervous and I want to attack a lot uh, each time and I did uh, like uh, 100 bomb outs before the lines or <laughs> just after the first thermal. <laughs> that was yeah. hard at the beginning, but um, I think it was good to to start to to attack and then to, to say, oh, okay, uh, it's too much. Now I have to control a bit more and learn how to do. Now the, the the young pilots, it's more I follow after I try to to attack. That's a really good start if you want to make fast results. The big competition we have now because all the pilots are super good. For me, it was the the inverse. For Maxim Pino, it was the inverse. For like Baptiste Lambert, also uh, the the good young pilot who is coming fast. It's also the case, we start to attack a bit too much, and then after we say, oh, it's too much, now we have to control and to learn how to do. So the results are, it's more difficult to have good results at the beginning, but after you can have a really good results if you try, if you arrive to manage this uh, style. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think, it, and to develop this attack, uh, I think it starts from the, um, Cross country to learn to fly alone to take your your own line, your and, own decision. Uh, yeah, your own decision. Find your thermals. Uh, and uh, I know Maxim Pino and Baptiste Lambert do a lot of cross country, and I did a lot when I was young, like uh, uh, 200 kilometers in the Alps. And I think that's that's the the big tip for to to. To be very, really, really good in competition is to learn cross country alone, and uh, and after maybe uh, try to control the group. So thank you very much. I think you've said some very, very powerful things there, Honorin. If I can just uh, repeat a little bit what you said, ground handling really important. Yeah. Really full control of your wing on the ground. Learn every characteristic of the glider from the stall point to what it's going to do with a bit pressure, a bit less pressure, just off small dunes, go to any places where you can just get off the ground. And then, of course, don't bomb out. So um, I notice a lot of pilots when they are starting to get into competition flying or even trying to race their friends in a cross-country flight, they start to make the mistake of pushing, pushing, pushing. And it can be a very expensive mistake for the points. Eh? Hey, yeah, sure. <laughs> What kind of training do you typically do? I mean, you work for Ozone, you are yeah. sponsored for them, you're a test pilot for them. What What does your normal day or week look like, Honorin? Yeah, now, now I have the, the chance to work for Ozone and uh, I have a lot of free time to go to 
to train. Basically, before uh, to work to Ozone, I flew like 300 hours uh, per year. And uh, now I'm with Ozone and I fly like 600 per hours per, per year. So that's a lot. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's almost two hours per, per day. We fly all the days for developed uh, all the glider to have the good setting. And uh, we fly all the, the range, like uh, beginners to the confirmed uh, pilots. And um, that's really good because uh, you have to climb very fast in every day. So in all the kind uh, of uh, weather, you must climb really fast. And uh, just after uh, going front and up test uh, some collapses. So I, I have everything. I have to be very specific on the on all thermals and to be very efficient on all thermals. Light thermals, very strong thermals, very a lot of west wind because here uh, the west wind is not really good. Find some confluences to climb uh, high. And after I have the, the other point, it's the, all the collapses. So I know really well all the gliders and I'm not scared uh, to take a collapse. I know what to do just after. You, you need to be fast. Uh, you, you do one collapse, like a big asymmetric collapse. And just the second after, you know if you have to touch the brake or not. Because mm -hmm. for, the, for the certification, with yeah. in A, B, C, and D, and uh, CCC gliders, you have a lot. The, the glider must uh, recover by uh, itself. And uh, you know if you can let it go or you have to touch the brake because it's not a normal collapse. The glider is a bit dangerous, and that's that's. I think that's helped me also a lot for the to be relaxed in the air for the competition, and, and that's why it's very important to do a lot of uh, SIV for all pilots. They have to to know what can happen after one collapse, which kind of collapse it is, because some asymmetrics are really good, and you know it will not shock during the reinflation. And so you have nothing to do uh, if it's just if it's just stick under the glider. You just have to pump a bit with the the brake. It will reopen very smooth. And sometimes it's a big collapse and it will reopen really fast with a big shock. And you know that you have to put a really fast and deep brake action to block it and to not take a another. <laughs> Another cascade of uh, accident after, <laughs> after that. Yeah, all the tests, the turmoils yeah. and the collapses make me uh, fly a lot, be very, really safe and really relaxed in the air, I think. So that's a good idea to, to do a lot of SIV and to understand well your glider, to not be surprised. I mean, there's no doubt that somebody who's an acro champion um, and who knows exactly what it's like to try something and to try from infinity to misty flip or whatever it is, and bam, the glider disappears and it doesn't do what it should. That, it will definitely help you to feel more confident in a normal flying situation. Imagine we are boxers. If I hit you and hit you and hit you and hit you and hit you, then one extra hit in the boxing ring when you're actually having a fight is not so bad. And it's the same with you feeling good about uh, flying on a glider. Now, obviously, we don't recommend that any pilots out there just go out and try collapses on their gliders um, if they don't know what they're doing. Doing it in a controlled situation in a proper SIV is obviously much, much better. Have you had any real accidents to speak of? And you said, no, um, so far, so good. But um, reserve throwing three times in the, in the trees 
So that's because you were too low, you couldn't throw the reserve. Two times in test flying and one time in cross country when you were young and dumb. Make some comments on that. Tell us, when should you throw the reserve? When should you get to the moment where you say, don't do it? Yeah, uh, so I, I will start with the, the first rescue, rescue I made. So it was with um, Aircross U4. Yeah, that nice was a really high aspect ratio glider. And uh, I start, uh, it was my third year of uh, comp. I was uh, young, it was, it was like 18 years old or, or 19. I started to learn to fly in the, the mountains because I come from flatland, so that's more or less easier than in the mountain because you have the wind and you follow the wind to do a lot of distance. So there is not a lot of danger except the really strong wind and some big thermal sometimes. You have the meteo wind and you can have a lot of breezes in the valleys on all the sides. With my U4, I was a, it was a windy day so i i thought i will be uh, uh, in throwing on the mountain i was a bit uh, downwind and um, i said oh okay i will climb here and i arrived on the mountain and i was um, and the wind was coming on the other side because it was uh, not the meteor wind but the uh, breeze i took a big collapse like uh, in a wash machine and uh, i recover i took another one another frontal i took like five frontals and after I said, oh, okay, uh, the next one, I'm, I'm too low, I need to be rescued and uh, that's what uh, happened. Uh, I was too low, I had to, to do the rescue and uh, hopefully I, I felt in, um, in a big uh, mud uh, yeah, clearing area and it was uh, super, super good to land, <laughs> so yeah. that, that was cool. But my father uh, was really scared in the radio and everything. And uh, all of this accident was because uh, I haven't I haven't learned and I haven't read uh, enough about the weather in the in the mountains and uh, what is really uh, a breeze. Uh, how can the the wind come from the other side? Uh, and yeah, for me it was just meteor wind, meteor wind, meteor wind, but in fact, no, there is a lot of breezes in the valley and you need to really learn how it happened to know where you are, uh, if you are uh, with front wind or with back wind or in a rotor or something like that. Look, when you are still 18, you don't want to read anything. You are young, you know yeah. everything. <laughs> you have learned a few lessons after that. That's super cool. Nice one, yeah. Yeah, and, the, the, that, that's why that's that's something uh, for young pilots uh, to try to avoid. So to try to learn a bit more before to try to to go fast in a really bad situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when uh, when I was young, also, my father said to me, um, "No, don't do wing overs or do, do just small wing overs." So it was with an EMB. When uh, I start to climb, I went to um, to Anti. I climb in one thermal and I went a bit more on the back, like that he can't see me from the takeoff. And mm -hmm. I do a big wing overs. At the end, I want to stop it. I'm not really experienced for, for this kind of stuff. To stop, uh, to stop the wing overs a bit fast, pushed, um, the, I, I pulled the brake uh, a bit too hard. 
I went just above the, the glider, but uh, with, without uh, enough uh, speed. So I felt uh, almost in the glider. I touched the leading edge of the glider. And I was super scared. And I put hands up and everything uh, was OK. The glider recovered perfect. <laughs> and I, uh, I haven't said it to my father uh, like uh, during one month. And after, I said, uh, I said it to my father. And he was so scared. He said, well, what did you do? <laughs> You will do another SIV to learn that, and uh, that was funny because my father uh, said me also always um, don't do it, don't do it uh, too much, and uh, when uh, when he can't see you, you say oh I can go, I can do it, and, uh, but uh, it can be really scary, and you, maybe if you fall in your glider, it can uh, be really dangerous. So. Uh, Bill Hughes from America. I don't know if you know him. He's an American man with a, a dark hair. He sometimes has a ponytail. Yeah. And Bill, he was on the line with me uh, two days ago and he was telling me about once he, he fell into the glider and like a glider falling down, a Roman candle, he was just having the glider around him. He couldn't come out of the glider and he fell into the trees in America, big trees. And then he managed to say, OK, this looks like the open side. And he slid down and he landed on his feet. And he radioed to his friend straight away, hey, I'm okay. And there was a silence. Friend said, oh? And he said, yes, it's me. I'm okay. And they said, what? You are not dead? You are you, you really speaking to us? It's not your soul or you are not in heaven? And he said, no, I'm really lucky. And they said, wow. Because they just watched this glider going down with something inside. So... I agree that falling in the glider is can be a really bad idea. I, I want yeah. to tell you a very quick story, Honorin. When I learned to fly, it was, I think, about 1998. I went to Turkey and I was trying some Jockey Sanderson stuff that I remembered from a video. I remember that he said, when you make a full stall, you pull down on the lines. And I forgot that when the lines go down, they also want to pull up as the glider comes back. <laughs> and I forgot about this. People. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, 1,400 meters of falling with a cravat one side, and then when I recovered it too much and the cravat the other side, you know the stuff. It was, I don't have a daddy who flies. I couldn't phone him and say, Dad, I'm really sorry this happened. So, yeah. yeah. You are really believing that the 600 meter, uh, kilometer record can break. So Neville Hewlett is a very close friend of mine. He made the first 500 kilometer cross country. I don't know if you remember in 2009 on the Mac, uh, Magus 6. Um, his record held for a long time before the Brazilians finally broke it. Now the record holds at 560 kilometers. So 600 should be completely possible. Where? You're of course planning it in your head even. Go for it. Yeah, but I think uh, the, the, the Brazil is the, the best place because... Uh, if we don't have a lot of holidays, if all is organized uh, the, and the, the weather is, is really good in Brazil, it's const constant, so you can fly almost all the days. So I think it will be really easy to break it uh, in, uh, in Brazil. But, but uh, I think the best place can be the Texas to do a really, really big distance. But there is like almost just two days in the year, so you need to, to be here in this day, and that's not super easy. And uh, that's really expensive, I think, compared to, to Brazil. So the, the best place is Brazil, and uh, 
I think it's quite easy to do 600, but uh, you, you need to go. And uh, this year I, I want to go, but with the with this virus, I don't I don't know what can happen. So maybe it will be for for next year, and uh, and uh, we will see uh, what can happen. But yeah, with uh, like like 40, 50 kilometers per hour uh, backwinds, you I think it's easy to to break it uh, in Brazil. Yeah, I mean, and uh, would you do your winching with Martin Portman, or would you start on the mountain? Uh, have you looked into that? Have you done some research there? Yeah, there is a lot of places. Yeah, maybe it's uh, with Fly with Andy uh, in Keiko or with Martin. Uh, I, I don't really know now. Uh, I have there is several options, and yeah, the, the the easiest is to take Martin or on Fly with Andy, and yeah, it's because it's not super easy to the authorization to with the, the with the towing everywhere. So. Some places are private. With the airspace, uh, it's not super easy to, to take off from the, the lakes. There are several options that's not super easy to decide where, where to go. <laughs> yeah, I met Martin in Austria. We had a long evening discussion with drinking a lot of red wine. We had a long talk and he was telling me how many difficulties he's got with uh, the authorities and with... Uh, taking off where he wants to with the winch. Of course, not everybody understands that we are paraglider pilots and all we want to do is go out there and be free and fly and nothing else matters. But, uh, you know, we have situations all around the world and each pilot I've been interviewing is just going, I just want to go and fly. I mean, you flying 600 hours in a year and all of a sudden, chuck, stop. No, leave your glider, stay at home, go in the office. We are not used to staring at a computer, eh? Honorin, how are you feeling right now? Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I try to, to go to work to compensate. <laughs> yeah, for sure, that's not uh, an easy situation. But uh, like if you see in, like in Switzerland, they, they, they can fly because they are alone in the mountain. And uh, for them, uh, it's... Uh, every pilot's responsibility. Here in France, our, our hospitals are at the limit, so that's why they, they don't want more accidents. So I understand this situation, and so we just have to wait, but for sure that's difficult. And all the pilots, because it will be maybe big and turbulent weather. After the lockdown, just be safe and not take too much risk, and that will be, that will be okay, and we will fly soon. <laughs> oh, no, I, I think you've said an important one there. Uh, that's something that I haven't actually thought about. Um, you know, I, I have a big theory about uh, how keen we are to fly, and I like to call it horny for flying. You know, you haven't flown in two, three weeks, the weather's been shit, you go outside, suddenly it's a beautiful day to fly, you have to fly, you get to the mountain, you have a light backwind, that light backwind is getting stronger, but you've got it in your head that you have to fly on that day. What do you comment on that? Yeah, sure. It pushes us because uh, we really want to fly. We haven't fly since uh, two two months. Yeah, for sure. You we have to have the, an open mind to, to take all the the information we can and not to avoid one that it's backwind. It will be okay. It's not an easy thing. It's like in uh, during competition. Uh, sometimes you are focused on your line and uh, you you can't see uh, all the pilots uh, climbing uh, on the left side or on the right side. So no, you just uh, take a breath and open your mind and you can see uh, every information uh, you can to, to, to be safe and uh, like in competition to be fast. <laughs>
So I'm sure there will be a lot of French pilots who will be listening to this podcast too. And uh, tu veux parler un petit peu en français, dire deux trois mots pour les petits français qui comprennent pas en anglais. <laughs> ouais, bah du coup, faut, va falloir être euh, bien euh, ouvert. Euh, euh, sur vos décisions euh, quand on va reprendre le vol parce que c'est sûr qu'on va vraiment avoir envie de voler euh, à fond et peut-être qu'on va occulter certaines informations qui vont faire qu'on va se mettre en danger euh, euh, involontairement au, au décollage euh, par exemple c'est un petit peu vent de cul euh, on veut y aller quand même et, et au final on peut se faire mal pour pas grand chose quoi et c'est un petit peu comme je faisais le parallèle avec la compétition où euh, on a une ligne, on sent que ça va marcher, on se met des œillères comme les chevaux. On regarde l'autre pilote qui Autour monte de... juste à 100 mètres à côté. Et, et c'est ça qui peut nous sauver le vol et faire qu'on peut gagner après. Et donc, pas hésiter à regarder sur les côtés, derrière. Et euh, ça, ça permet déjà de, de sauver des, des manches euh, plutôt que d'aller faire un gros bomb-out tout seul. <rire> Do you have some really funny story? You are 28 years old, you started flying when you were 14. I'm sure you've lived some crazy, crazy things. Can you tell me one or two experiences? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's difficult to rem remember everything, but uh, yeah, one funny story was like um, in tandem flight with um, Karine, uh, the, the girl I made uh, the, the world record. Yeah, well, one time we had to land in a very strong wind and um, it was uh, next to a big forest. Um, I was a bit stressed because it was really strong and um, and uh, I said, oh, okay, uh, it's okay, everything looks perfect, we are at 50 meters ground, you can uh, uh, end up, we will land, so start start to run, okay, we start to run, and uh, oh, we felt in a tree, so I haven't seen the tree, <laughs> because uh, she was uh, in front of me, and uh, I haven't seen the tree, so <laughs> we landed uh, on the tree like that, and uh, we took like several hours to uh, remove the glider with 40 degrees, uh, <laughs> So like, it was super hot. Uh. She thought you were world champion, so you have to know what you're doing. So she won't say anything about the tree. Yeah, she, 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 yeah she was blocked because she said, oh, okay, you know what we will do. We will learn perfectly. I start to run and uh, she hasn't said there is a tree. So that was super funny. And we took a, a lot of hours to, to remove the glider from the trees. And that was super funny. <laughs> And uh, we, it was in the middle of nowhere, so nobody can come, no farmer, no, nobody. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, um, because she's a bit light, we, have, uh, we had a lot of ballast into the, um, the, the harness of, uh, of her. We can uh, drink a lot, like six, six liters, and, uh, and uh, we'll take a shower, everything. That, uh, that was perfect. <laughs> really nice story, I like that. You were the first person to fly 400 kilometers on a tandem. The most difficult thing is to have a good passenger because it's, uh, it's super hard to find a passenger who will not vomit everything uh, all the flight <laughs> and to accept to fly like uh, more than 11 hours uh, every day to do a record. I don't know, I don't know to do the, the name in, um, in English, Kush, uh, that uh, you can change. And uh, yeah, the, the girl have to has to uh, accept that that uh, you can change it during the flight. To to eat in the air, it's not super easy also for a passenger. And to she was able to to sleep in the air. So sometimes I say, oh, okay, we will do a big transition. You can sleep. 
that was a, a good skill. <laughs> and uh, each time um, we are in a thermal, uh, she was able to say me, uh, we are at uh, 2,000, it's uh, two meters. Uh, uh, we made uh, like 300 kilometers, so we can do it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was super good. And uh, for sure, uh, to keep it uh, focused on the... Um, on the record, after I said, uh, after you, we can go to Canoa Quebradine on the beach and uh, you will enjoy. <laughs> um, so. I think it also helps for a good looking young man like you to have a good looking young lady with you on the tandem. Huh? Maybe it's quite yeah. nice. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that was super good. So, yeah. And uh, that, that was the most difficult thing to, to find a good passenger. And after in the air, that was so beautiful. So, I enjoyed a lot the, the, the all the flights and the, all the views during the, the flights. So that finally, that was not so difficult in the air and the, the weather was perfect. So <laughs> I want to tell you a quick South African uh, tandem record story. So at the time, a lot of records were being broken in South Africa with winching, you know, from the R yeah. and Uruman and Priska. And uh, of course, Neville, he came with one of the last uh, big flights that we did, because obviously when he flew 503 kilometers, people were like, what? Jeez, how can anyone fly so far? But one of our top pilots, Andrew Smith, who I also do a podcast with, um, and Neville is also going to uh, talk to me. Uh, but uh, Andrew, he was uh, choosing the wife of uh, a friend of his, Ziggy Bockmeyer. Now, Andrew and Ziggy and Jay van Deventer, they are legends from South Africa. And these guys were always buying the next Porsche that was faster than the one before. If one did 300 kilometers an hour and one was doing 305 kilometers an hour, there were all three guys with a lot of money and a lot of time. So they were always buying the craziest things and they didn't care. So on one day, Andrew Smith decided he's going to make the world record on the tandem. And he took Karen, is the wife of Ziggy Bachmeyer, for a passenger. But she wasn't handling the the uh the tube very well and about 60 kilometers okay their flight in total was 160 kilometers but after 60 kilometers she puked for the first time and andrew describes how this girl is puking and passing out and coming around and going oh we have to go and land and and he was just like we will land soon we will land soon like cruelty to the poor lady to keep her there for all this time but the record is the record huh? yeah yeah sure yeah the, the first flight i made um, in brazil the my, my my girlfriend at this time was um, a bit tired so the first flight she vomit like 10 times and uh, that was super hard for her and the, the days after it was okay but the first the first day because she was really tired Wow, that was a nightmare. <laughs> and I said, oh, the record, sorry, I can't land. <laughs> yeah, I think in Brazil also it's possible to do 500 in Tanzania. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's also quite easy because my weather was not so good and I had a front wind at the end with the breeze, sea breeze. So I was not so fast. And now I think... With the, the towing and the winch and the Kaiko um, or something like that, you will have you will not have a front wind at the end because you you are next to the sea uh, at the start and uh, you arrive uh, after more kilometers uh, into the the sea breeze. So I think 500 that's 
quite easy for the, the one pilot who want to do it. I like your style, my friend. Oh, 500 on a tandem, it's quite easy. What? Wow. No, I... <laughs> I love that attitude. I love the attitude that it's possible that yeah. that the that the mark that the record can be broken. That's much better. Instead of saying, "Oh, it will be very difficult," you know. No, nice, nice, nice style. Yeah. Six hundred, cool. it's uh, it's too much, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But like like with a with a better harness for the six hundred in uh, solo flight. Yeah, 600, 650, I think, uh, I think it's possible. 650, you're speaking about big numbers, my friend. I like that. That's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty out there. Wow. We will, uh, we will fly soon and uh, that everybody enjoy and that we will can, we can um, compete together uh, as soon as possible because that's... Uh, I like to share with you uh, that uh, comp to to be friends, to drink uh, a beer after the the landing and uh, after a really good task where where we pushed a lot. And uh, I hope we will have uh, that soon for everybody. <laughs> uh, can I ask you not to push so hard? I want to beat you. <laughs> no. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah. Maybe you will bum out again. <laughs> no, learned your lesson. Yeah, yeah. If, uh, if I haven't flight uh, two months, maybe I can bomb out uh, and take uh, some comps to to be uh, more uh, focused on the on the follow follow more the groups and not attack too much. Or maybe I will bomb out a bit. <laughs> nah, that's okay. Uh, it's all for fun at the end of the day. I mean, the paragliding competitions look. Look at them, what a pleasure. I've been flying comps for 20 years and uh, the I don't know, maybe I've flown 70 or 80 competitions and I do it just for fun. But wow, to, to race your friends on the day and to drink a beer at the end of the day, that's... Nothing. <laughs> really perfect. Yeah, you've said it. Honorin, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a really, really, really nice time to chat with you. You're a fantastic young man. I wish you lots of success. Carry on doing the right thing. Carry on testing those gliders nicely. I'm sure there's also, and I don't want you to discuss anything that you're not allowed to discuss, but I would like to just ask you, obviously, uh, there are models that have been prepared that there's, like now we are all quiet and not allowed to change. I mean, uh, Corona has definitely changed things for the scene of paragliding. Yeah, sure. It will change a lot of things, but uh, we will try to do our best and uh, I think it will be, it will be better and better. We, we have to, to think, uh, think that. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's uh, definitely a challenge for the world. And I think we have to really think uh, how we can come out of this better rather than worse. I mean, it's um, it's um, every opportunity that people should use right now to go out there to do the great things like this very webcast. It was an idea, a project of mine to make for the two weeks of lockdown in South Africa. We got an extension of our lockdown for another two weeks. And uh, although I'm in a beautiful mountains, I can only mountain bike and rock climb for so many hours before I'm going crazy looking at the sky. And before I drink too much wine or whatever it is, I'd rather uh, do something constructive and great. So I thank you very, very much for sharing this with us. We are going to definitely process all of this. Have a very good time. I'm going to send you a link to it. And uh, yeah, send it far and wide to all your friends and family, to everybody at Ozone. And uh, thank you very, very much for, for your time. It's, it's been really, really cool.
Any last messages you'd like to say to the world or to anybody especially? Yeah, but thanks to you too. It was a pleasure. And uh, uh, yeah, at, uh, at 20 meters ground, uh, you are still in the, in the air. So for the next count, uh, you can think about that. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I like that. I actually do uh, haven't mentioned that in any podcast so far. The flight is only over when the flight is over. So (laughs) uh, when you're 20 meters above the ground and you hear that magic sound from the Vario, it's not over. It starts. That's the best thing. (laughs) I have to squeeze one more story out of you. How do you do a low save? Tell the people out there, what do you do in survival mode? Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a bit difficult because because I don't know if I'm lucky, but I do I did a lot of low save in my uh, career, so and each time that's amazing, it's just amazing. You you just heard a beep, you are like out of your cocoon, so you of your harness, so you said, oh, I will learn, I will learn, but you still believe in it and you say. Yeah, if I have the opportunity, I take it. And uh, I try to find some places when you can, where you can find a thermal, but you are, each time you are not sure. So I try to find a big, a lot of rocks or um, a good, um, okay. yeah, um, with a lot of contrast. And uh, you say, oh yeah, I'm sure there is, we, I will find something. And sometimes you find something and uh, it's the start and, uh, and you land because it, it was just the start. But like, um, like 50, it's 50-50 in fact uh, for me. And so sometimes it works and sometimes it, do, it doesn't work because you are too early. Um, but yeah, you, you have to believe in it. And as soon as you heard something, even if it's less than uh, 0.2, 0.3 meters per second, it's more than uh, less one one meter per second, so there is something. Uh, maybe it's uh, too early or maybe it's too late. But uh, if it's too early, if you wait in this area, it will start to climb and uh, you can catch it. So you have to be patient and uh, and always believe in it because uh, it can be really fast, even if you are just at 20 meters ground. So. It can save uh, all your flights, and uh, that would be a really good uh, uh, thing to. Would be really good in your memory after this low save. So <laughs> just uh, try to 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 believe in it and uh, to not go to land too early. <laughs> yeah, I, I I completely agree on that one. The number of times, um, obviously here in South Africa in Portoville, the number of people that are picking up a thermal at tree height or at 10 meters or at 50 meters it's unbelievable and what you make with it is really important so um i i really stand to not looking around and uh, still doing the searching when you find that uh, light lift um you you hang on to it as if it's everything it's like it's your life depends on it so yeah. i think the, really- the best thing also if you want to for me if you want to to do a good uh, x country pilot it's always to not think about the retrieve. That's the, the, be- the best thing for me. Because uh, if you think about the retrieve, there is one thermal 500 meters uh, to the left of the road and you will land on the road. No, you just go where you think the thermal will be. And uh, after, if you don't find it, you will walk. It's not a problem. But uh, 
for me that 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 if I have to go three kilometers um, to the uh, far from the road, I will go three kilometers just to find the thermal I think he is here. And uh, if I don't find it, I don't find it. But uh, I tried, and I will not go next to the road just because of the retrieve. And I think if you pass that, if you if you are able to not think about the retrieve, you will fly uh, better than uh, to to think about it. Yeah, that's that's an absolutely absolutely essential tip with cross country flying. Put the retrieve out of your mind. Just forget about how you're going to get back. What I like to think, Honorin, is that we have the day dedicated to paragliding. Don't worry how you're getting back. Don't worry that you have only one liter of water when you should have two liters and it's 35 degrees. Don't worry that you only have a few snacks. These kind of thoughts are the kind of shit that's going into your head and actually eroding or infesting in a negative way. We are there to fly. Go on. Don't worry about anything else except carrying on, getting those extra kilometers. That's how those 400 and 500 and 650 kilometers. I'm looking at you. Don't let me down. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Really, really nice tips. Do you have any other top tips for cross country flying? Uh, anything else that you think is. Uh... I think that's all. <laughs> that's fantastic. Let's end it right here. It's been super cool. I hope to do this again with you really soon. Really nice time. Be patient in the lockdown. It won't be long anymore, my friend. <laughs> Thanks. See you soon. Ciao, buddy. Thank you.